worship team, and thank you all the parents who got here so early today to uh, allow your kids to run through our practice. Uh, I tell you what, as much as I love our worship team, I don't know that there is anything sweeter than worshiping with our kids. Uh, that was just awesome to listen to the children sing that, uh, that old hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Man, it just touched my heart uh, so much. We are beginning today a brand new series on heaven um, and teaching all of you what the Bible says about heaven and eternity and the afterlife. And every, uh, every week our, our band is going to sing some special music that shows how much the thought of heaven permeates the society that we live in. Um, but it's interesting because not, not, uh, not everybody believes that. One of my, one of my uh, most respected Americans, uh, one, of, one of the Americans that I respect uh, as much as anyone that I know in my lifetime is a man by the name of Pat Tillman. Uh, and perhaps you know the Pat Tillman story. Uh, Pat Tillman was a football player. He was an All-American linebacker at Arizona State University. He was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, and he went on to become a, uh, an all-pro free safety for the Arizona Cardinals. And after 9-11 happened, uh, back in 2001, uh, he played out his contract, and in the off-season that year, he was offered a three-year, $3.36 million contract, a contract that would pay more than a million dollars a year to play football. Uh, and he turned it down because he said he felt he owed it to his country to go into the military and serve his country. Uh, his little brother, Kevin, who had just been drafted by the Cleveland Indians as a baseball player. So he was a professional football player. His brother was a professional baseball player. Uh, gave up his contract with the Cleveland Indians to enter the military. And these two men went together. Uh, and in 2003, went and fought in a, uh, Iraq. Came back. Uh, decided when they came back that they wanted to do more for America, so they both became Army Rangers and went to Afghanistan where they served as Army Rangers in Afghanistan. And on April 22nd, 2004, uh, in what turned out to be a, a firefight between two American squads that didn't realize they were American squads, uh, Pat Tillman was killed by friendly fire. Uh, Pat Tillman, as an American hero, is somebody I respect as much as anyone that I've ever read about. And I followed his story closely because of, of my love for football and, of course, my love for America and, and the men and women who serve uh, America to make it the place that it is. Uh, but Pat Tillman was an agnostic. Uh, he was a highly educated, well-read um, agnostic. An agnostic is somebody who, who, who doesn't think you can truly find the answer to truth. An agnostic is not an atheist. An atheist says there is no God. An agnostic says... If there is one, you can't know. So directions were given at his funeral that he didn't want any prayers. He didn't want any mention of God. He didn't want any Christian songs. The family would not allow a U.S. chaplain or a pastor to be present at his funeral. And they only allowed elected officials uh, and basically representatives of the U.S. government to be at his funeral. Uh, because Pat was an agnostic and that's the way that he wanted it. But his family uh, w were and are atheists. If you read, and I've read so many books and articles and gathered all kinds of information because of my, just my interest in, in what happened. Uh, at his funeral, uh, where they were honoring Pat Tillman for the man he was, for the sacrifice he made, and pretty high-profile sacrifice. You give up a contract in the NFL to, to go to war uh, and be killed. Uh, John McCain made the comment uh, while, while at the funeral. Uh, he said, Pat is home now, trying to encourage and comfort the people who were there. Maria Shriver, who was also there as kind of a representative of the state of California, said, you'll see Pat again. Uh, no, no reference to God, no reference to heaven, no reference to the Bible, no prayers, but one statement, Pat is home. Another statement, you'll see Pat again, to which Pat's youngest brother, Richard, got up uh, and made the legendary statement that was heard around the world, at least around the sports world. 
Anyway, uh, he got up at Pat's memorial service uh, with a beer in his hand and turned to uh, Senator McCain and Maria Shriver and said, thanks for your comments, but Pat's not with God. Pat's effing dead. He's not with God. He's effing dead. Now, those comments slingshotted all across our country because of this belief. And it's interesting because one of Pat's friends later said upon hearing those comments, he said, that's not something Pat would have ever said because Pat was so well-read. Pat had so much respect for his Christian friends, his Jewish friends, his Muslim friends, his Mormon friends. That's not something Pat would have said because Pat understand that most of the world believes in eternity, but his, his brother, in a moment of extreme grief, thought that was a way that he could honor his brother. Now, what is known is this. Every major civilization in the history of the world, ever since writing was formed, you can go back to the cave writings, the earliest writings of the history of civilization tell us that everyone who has ever lived in the world as civilizations have believed in an afterlife, have believed in eternity. And as we start this series on heaven, you need to know that I believe in eternity. I don't believe that this is all that there is. I don't believe that when we die, we just go in the ground and there is no more. I believe in eternity, and I believe in an eternity called heaven, specifically a heaven shown to us in the Bible. Now, I don't have time today, uh, or really on a Sunday morning, to, to try to prove to you why I believe the Bible is God's word, why I trust it, why I place my faith in it. Uh, but we will on Friday, September 14th. Every now and then we have a special service at our church. And on Friday, September 14th, we, we have a service that we call The Well that is much deeper Bible teaching. It's extended worship. We take communion at it. On Friday, September 14th, I'm going to take three hours to teach you why you can trust the Bible. Why you can in your heart be settled when someone says, well, the Bible's not true. How through archaeology, through history, through study through geography, you can look at the Bible and say, you know what, I really do believe this is God's word and I believe you can trust it. And we are for the next five weeks going to study the heaven in the Bible for this purpose so that you can know you're going there. You know, there's a lot of people who want to go to heaven, but very few people know very little about it. There's a lot of people in this room who believe with all your heart because you've given your life to Jesus you're going to heaven, but you know very little about it. What are you going to do when you get there? Who's going to be there when you get there? What's it going to look like? What are the activities going to be? Are we going to eat and drink? Are there going to be pets in heaven? You know the Bible answers all those questions? And we're going to answer them as we go through. But today, I want to talk to you specifically not just about heaven, but about eternity. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's in the Old Testament. You're going to find that right after. If you find Psalms, which is a big book in the middle of the Old Testament, You'll flip by songs and proverbs and you'll come to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you don't have a Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They're going to pass out Bibles. If you forgot one, uh, if, you, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, this is yours. Uh, in the 11 months that we've had church, we've given away more than 300 Bibles just like this. If you don't have a Bible that you can carry, that you can read, that you can study, this is yours. Wave your hand at an usher. Put your name on the inside. You can have this. If you just forgot your Bible today and you want a Bible so that you can study God's Word with us, uh, but you have one at home, use one of these, throw it on the table when you leave. But every Sunday, we're going to open God's Word, we're going to study God's Word. And today, we, we, we open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we read a verse that even the most avowed atheist, even the most avowed agnostic, would admit for humanity that there's something to this verse. 
There's just something to this verse. And as we embark on five weeks of studying what the Bible has to say about heaven, we start in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's actually a famous song uh, that was made from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first nine verses from it. It was made in the 70s by a group called The Birds, uh, and the name of the song was Turn. Uh, All of you have heard that song. For everything, turn, 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 there is a reason, turn, turn, turn. And, uh, and you go on and on and on. That song came from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a man named Solomon who's writing his life's diary. And basically, he says this. Listen, as you go through your life, he's at the end of his life. And he said, as I've gone through my life, I've realized that in life, you experience everything. In life, you experience good times. In life, you experience bad times. In life, you experience incredible blessings. In life, you experience incredible hurt. Life takes you through every twist and turn up and down that anyone could ever possibly go through. That's what life is. But he said, even after you go through life, it just seems in your heart that there's something more. And here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Speaking of God... He said, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Solomon, looking back at his life, said, you know what? It happened just the way it was supposed to happen, and everything worked out okay. But then he said this, God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let me read that to you again in its entirety. God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Solomon said, people as they go through life, they realize life has everything that you could ever want in life. They realize life has more hardships than you would imagine, more blessings than you would imagine. You sit at the end of your life and you look back and you think life is good. But Solomon said, everyone at the end of of their life wonders if there's more. Because God has divinely planted in our mind, in our heart, This idea of eternity. Solomon said, God has put eternity in the hearts of men so they will search for him. Now, I've done a lot of research this week on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I want to read you what some of the greatest scholars in the history of Bible study have said about Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. There's a a group of German scholars, two guys, Kyle and Delich, who said this about Ecclesiastes 3.11. It said, this is one of the most profound utterances of Solomon. Now, let me stop right there. The Bible says that Solomon wrote more than a thousand songs. The Bible says Solomon wrote more than 3,000 proverbs. We have an entire book that he's written. We have the love note that he wrote to his wife. We have an entire book in Ecclesiastes. And scholars said this verse, this one statement, is the most profound thing of the hundreds of thousands of sentences that Solomon wrote in his life. This is like the most important one. And it says, The impulse of man shows that his innermost wants can't be satisfied by that which is temporal. He is a being limited by time, but as to his innermost nature, what we would call the soul, he's related to eternity. Solomon said there's something inside a man, there's something inside a woman, there's something inside a teenager that wants to live forever, that wonders what's next, that wonders about that next life. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers who's ever existed on planet Earth, said it this way. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find myself longing for eternity in this world, but knowing that I'm not going to live forever because no one has, perhaps I was made to live forever 
in another place, a world the Bible refers to as heaven. Now, today's just introduction, but I want to give you today more than 30 Bible verses as we go through our study time together that talk about heaven and the purpose of heaven, and eventually we'll get to the place of heaven, and we'll get to the makeup of heaven. And what it, I mean, next week is all about what it looks like, what it sounds like, what we'll do there. Next week is what you will do in heaven. In two weeks, we'll talk about what makes heaven party. Jesus said there are certain things that can happen on planet earth that when they happen on planet earth, heaven throws a party. So we know a lot about heaven from the Bible. Most people have just never really studied it other than they say, hey, I'd like to go there. I'm sure you want to go there, but don't you like want to check out the website before you get there to see what's going to happen when, when you're there? That's what we're going to do through our Bible study the next five weeks. We see that heaven first and foremost as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.11, heaven is the desire of the human soul. Whether Christian or non-Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, whether one religion or another, it seems the world forever since the very first Egyptian hieroglyphics have focused on heaven, the afterlife. There has to be something more, a reward for a good life lived. And in Luke 18, 18, we find a question that I believe everyone at some point in their life, I think everyone asked this question. In Luke 18, verse 18, uh, it says a rich man, as, as, as we read the scripture completely, it says a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? A rich man walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I find it interesting that this man was rich. We're presented with someone who appears to have all of his worldly needs met. We're presented with someone who appears to be able to have the answer to all of his questions of what he wants and the ability to go get that, except for this one. Here's a rich man who's figured out he's, he can buy anything in the world but the next world. And he goes to Jesus and asks a question that I think every human being that has ever lived asks from time to time. Man, I wonder how I get to heaven. I wonder what I have to do to live forever. There's something deep inside the human soul that desires to live forever. You know, Solomon was really interesting. We're told in the Bible that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. But here's what we're told in Ecclesiastes. Solomon refers to himself. We know he's an old man when he wrote Ecclesiastes. He refers to himself not as a wise man, but as a watching man. You should write that down on your notes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon continues to say, I watched, I looked, I checked out. Solomon, who, I mean, Solomon lived among the wealthiest, wisest people of the world because he was one. He was in the upper elite of society. He ruled a country that under his 40 years of rule was the most powerful that it had ever been. I mean, Solomon had it all. And Solomon in, his, in the book of Ecclesiastes says this, I watched people. All throughout my life, I watched people. And Solomon said, here's what I found out. And we, if we read the story of Solomon in Scripture, we see that Solomon hung out with kings from, you know, kings from Egypt, and he hung out with kings from Babylon and Assyria. I mean, Solomon knew people from all over the world, the most powerful people in the world. And Solomon, as a watcher, said, I watch their life, and here's what I found out. The most rich and powerful who had everything, who could do everything. Deep down, they wondered about eternity. They wondered what happened when this life ended and the next one began. Solomon said, as a watcher, I realize the world is looking for eternity. The word eternity is used seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes, more than any other book in the Old Testament. Solomon, as a watcher, said the world is wondering about eternity. 
As you look at what other scholars have to say about Ecclesiastes 3.11, we see that Albert Barnes, who wrote a commentary, almost every verse in the Old Testament he wrote some biblical facts on, said God has placed in the inborn constitution of man the capability of conceiving of eternity and the struggle to apprehend the everlasting, the longing after an eternal life. Barnes said, every person who ever lives, there's something built into his DNA that wonders about eternal life. You saw these little superheroes run across the stage. Wasn't that awesome? Spider-Man and Batman and Yogi-Yo. I don't even even know who that is. And some guy with a gun. I I couldn't understand the last few. But it was like, you know know why America is fascinated with superheroes? Because we want to be able to get shot and not die. We want to be able to live forever. We want to be immortal. That sounds good. There's something in our soul that's like, yeah. I want that. And we see that God offers that. David Hubbard said this about Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, we are made to be curious over our destiny, to wonder about our fate, to concern ourselves with where life is leading. So the human soul not only desires immortality, to live forever, it wonders about it, talks about it, believes that something's there, And for the Christian, we believe we have in the Bible a very clear roadmap to what eternity is. So eternity, just according to the history of the world, is something that's been set in the hearts of human beings forever. Every human civilization is chased after eternity. But for the Christian, it's not just a desire that man one day maybe. For the Christian, heaven is our hope. It's the hope of the Christian heart. It's what we look forward to. It's what, uh, it's what we think about. It's what we talk about. It's what we know in our hearts, hopefully. It's where we know in our hearts we're going to go one day when this life ends, which certainly it will. I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't think that their time on earth will end at some point in time. But for the Christian, when this life ends, another one begins, and we can know very clearly what that life is and, and how to have that life. In Job 14, 14, this, this is one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament, especially in the New Living Translation. Job is struggling through life. He's gone through tragedy after tragedy of kids. He, he, he's had children who have died. He has lost his business. He is physically sick. He's ill. He has disease in his body. Everything is going wrong for Job. And here's what Job says as he focuses on eternity. Job says in Job 14, 14, Can the dead live again? If so... This would give me hope through all my years of struggle. And I would actually eagerly await the release of death. Joseph said, listen, if it's true that we can live after we die, that actually gives me hope for my time on earth that even though it's hard now, one day it'll be better. Job said, eternity, heaven is, is my hope. Paul said it this way, which is very similar to the song that our team just sang. Um, Philippians 1.23, Paul said, for me, to live is Christ. If I live, I'm going to live for Jesus. But to die, that's gain. So if I live, I'm going to live for Jesus. If I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's like better than living for Jesus. That's living with Jesus. Verse 22, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I'll make the best of it. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between living and dying. Why? Because I I desire to depart and be with Christ. This is better by far. Paul looked at his life and said, listen, I want to live and I want to keep serving Jesus and all that stuff, but I not only am not afraid to die, I actually look forward to one day going to heaven because it's going to be way better than what's here. 
In two weeks, we'll find out that Paul had a near-death experience where Paul wrote, and, and here's what Paul wrote. I love the honesty of the Bible here. Uh, Paul wrote, you know, I, I don't know if I was dead or alive. The Bible says he'd been stoned. Everyone thought he was dead, not, not like with marijuana, for those of you who aren't familiar with the scripture, like people threw rocks at him. He didn't smoke dope. He wasn't stoned that way. I know some of you have had a very spiritual experience in your past uh, that way. This was not what Paul was talking about. Um, Paul had rocks thrown at him, so he, like, he was rocked. He was stones thrown, and they drug him out, and Paul said, I don't know whether I was dead or whether I was alive. All I know is I was given a glimpse of heaven, and it was unbelievable. And I can't even begin to describe it. We're going to study that in two weeks. Paul saying, I went there. I don't know if I went there alive. I don't know if I went there dead. But I was given just a glimpse. And here he says later in his life, I can't wait to get back there. Have you ever been someplace you can't wait to get back to? Three years ago, I, for the first time in my life, I saw the Rocky Mountains in February covered with snow. And like most days of my life, I want to go back to the Rocky Mountains. To, like I can't wait to go back, right? Have you ever been someplace like that? You've been to a beach in the Caribbean or you've been to Hawaii. You just can't wait to go. That's where Paul was. Paul said, listen, I will live for Jesus and I'll do ministry, but I'd rather go to heaven. It's the hope of the Christian heart. In John 14, one through three, here's what Jesus said as he's getting ready to leave his disciples. He said, listen, this goodbye is not bad. There's hope in what's happening. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, the New King James Version and the Old King James has many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, heaven, heaven is real. And I'm gonna go there and get it ready. And at some point, I'm gonna get you and you can come with me. It's the hope of the Christian heart. Here's the verbs that were used to describe the attitudes of people when they thought about eternity, Christians who live for God when they thought about eternity. Job said, I eagerly await. I can't wait one day for eternity to start. Paul said, I desire. I desire for eternity to start. Jesus said when a Christian thinks about eternity, they shouldn't be troubled. Don't worry about it. Everything's gonna be okay. You know, if, if, uh, if you were to ask me, Christian, are you afraid to die? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I don't want to die. Uh, you know, not now, not ever, to be honest with you. You know, when a, when a 34-year-old guy with two kids and a wife thinks about dying, um, there's nothing happy about that, nothing exciting about that. I do not desire right now to depart and go to heaven. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to die. I think about how painful death could be. I, I don't want to die. But am I afraid of what's going to happen after I die? Not at all. I never think twice about whether or not heaven is for real and whether or not I'm going there. I'm not afraid of the afterlife. I don't eagerly await death, but I'm, I'm not afraid of what happens after death. And if you're in this room today, and this message isn't over, but this is where we're going to head for five weeks. If you're in this room today and you don't have that same comfort in your soul, Listen, you, any of us would be afraid to die. But if you have any fear of what happens after you die, you need to settle that before you leave church today. And I'm going to show you how. Jesus said in John 17, 3, it's the last verse I'll put up at the end of my message. She said, this is how you get eternal life. Pretty clear. You can know before you leave today that you don't ever have to worry about what happens after you die because heaven is for real and heaven is for you, according to the Bible. Don't have any fear. Don't have any concern. 
you can have nothing but hope. Heaven is the hope of the Christian soul. Look, you should look forward one day to being there. Uh, Christian, heaven is not just the hope of the Christian heart. As we read scripture, we, we find out the, the, one of the major reasons we're supposed to learn about heaven is because it becomes the comfort in our time of pain. As the Bible speaks about heaven, one of the major reasons we are to learn about heaven and know about heaven is not so we can go to bed and not be afraid of what's going to happen after we die, although that's a big deal. One of the major reasons we're supposed to be introduced to the concept of heaven and the reality of heaven and the description of heaven is so that in our times of pain we can focus on that and we can be comforted by that. It's one of the primary reasons this series is important. Unless any of us die before this series is over, this series is going to bring comfort for us more than hopefully it's going to bring reality. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, here's what Paul reminded the church at Thessalonica. He said, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Stop right there. Paul said, when people in your life die, we don't, I don't want you to be worried about where they are. I don't want you to be hopeless like some are hopeless. So he said in verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or died in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he said this in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When you have a friend, when you have a relative, when you have a coworker, when you have a neighbor, and you hear about somebody who has died and they're a Christian, Paul said, you don't need to work. You're going to be with them again in heaven encourage each other with that fact. A few years ago, my grandmother died very suddenly. And I had the, the honor as her grandson to fly to Maryland and to minister to my mom and my aunts and my uncles and my grandfather who's been in ministry for more than 60 years. And all I did was remind them that they were going to see her again, that they were going to be together again. I encouraged them with the comfort of eternal life, with the comfort of heaven. In 2 Samuel 12, 23 and 24, David has a son die. And listen to me. There's some people in this room who have had children who have died. You've had miscarriages. You've had grandchildren who have died, nieces and nephews. This is the verse you need to mark down for when you go through the death of a child or you have a friend who miscarries a baby or tragedy strikes a child. Because David, in 2 Samuel 12, 23 and 24, David's young son, we think less than two years old, had just died. And here's what David said about his son who had just died and ending his mourning period. They came to David and they said, are, are you going to get something to eat or you know, are you going to mourn forever? And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted, I wept. I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. So we know for a week his son was sick, he was dying, and he prayed, God, please don't let my, my son die. Verse 23, but David said, now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he won't return to me. You know, my little sister who had three miscarriages before she finally had her first baby this, uh, this summer, when she suffered through her first miscarriage, I got on the first plane, 
to Chicago, and I went to the baby store, and I bought a, uh, a little pair of christening booties, and I had inscribed on them 2 Samuel 23 and 24. And I said, you will one day go see this baby. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how it's going to happen, but here's the promise from the Bible that children who pass away, you can see them again in heaven. It's the hope that comforts that pain. In Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43, Jesus hung on the cross next to a man who was dying and who I'm sure was freaked out of his, his mind to be dying. And he said to Jesus in Luke 22, 42 and 43, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, what's gonna happen after I die? Please help me. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, heaven becomes the comfort for the thought of death, for the place we go after death. And for those of us who are still alive, it, it becomes the comfort of, I'll see them again. Heaven. Do you believe in heaven? Are you going there? Do you know about it? The Bible says heaven is the comfort to our pain. And it's not just a hope for us. It's not just a comfort for us. The weird thing says that, that the concept of heaven, the place of heaven, is actually a blessing to God. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 116, 15 I usually, if I, if I do a funeral, I, I will give this verse. It says in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Why? Because they come home to him. You see, when Christians die, it's not that God has gone off duty. It's just that he is preparing their welcoming party. Their time on earth has ended. It's time for them to come home. And God, if, for God, it's, it's the new eternal rebirth of a person. So heaven is hope, heaven is comfort, heaven is real, heaven is a desire. But it's also, according to scripture, and here's what I want to hone in on today. Heaven is also, according to the Bible, the reward of our faith. It's the greatest thing that God will ever give to you and I. Answered prayer is huge, I love it, I rejoice when I pray for something over a long period of time and then God answers a prayer. That's like a big deal. Blessings that God, have you ever, has God ever poured an unexpected blessing into your lap? That's a big deal when God pours an unexpected blessing into your lap. But those are nothing compared to heaven. Heaven is the real reward. Like, do you remember when you were a little kid at Christmas and like there was that one big present under the tree? And you never knew who, whose it was, but it was like there was that one big present. Heaven is the big present of Christianity that your parents make you wait till the very end to open to see what's in it. Heaven is the true reward of our faith according to Scripture. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, verse 6, and verses 13 and 16 say it this way. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the, uh, the assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that God exists, and he must believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then it gave an example of a few people. And then in verse 13, it said this, all these people, they were still living by faith when they died. And they didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, all these spiritual blessings. They admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, their old life, they'd have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
See, Christians are described as people who are looking forward to heaven. And Hebrews 11 says, God ain't going to disappoint you. You look forward to it because one day it's coming. You know, in, in Christianity, we use this word saved. Say, you know, are you saved? When did you get saved? It's a really interesting word. It's a word that r- really hasn't happened yet. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've become a Christian, you've been forgiven. Uh, if you've become a Christian, you, you know, you've been given the Holy Spirit to guide your life. If you've become a Christian, you've been given spiritual gifts. But really, none of us have really yet been saved because that talks about eternity. The word saved speaks to, the Bible says we were born headed to an eternity without God. But God had a wide open door and said, I have a gift for you called eternal life, called forgiveness. You can have it. And when we talk about someone being saved, what we're talking about is being saved from an eternity without God, eternal life. All of us one day will be saved from that. You know, you look at Christianity now and you say, you know, I'm not saved from heartache. Christian, I'm not saved from disease. Christian, I'm not saved from the consequences of sin. Christian, I don't feel saved. My marriage fell apart. I'm not saved from things happening to my kids. Christian, I I don't feel like God has rescued me from anything. That comes later when we leave this life and we have an eternity with God. Heaven is the reward of your faith. In John chapter 3, 36, I studied the book of John this week after I had put together my message and I found four verses This spoke of eternal life, so I grabbed them all, and said, we have to study these. They're so important. In John 3.36, Jesus having a conversation with a religious man who wasn't, he was religious, but he wasn't sure he was going to heaven, said this, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Listen to me. That comment was made to someone who went to church, but wasn't sure they were going to heaven. Maybe that's you today. You've been to church, but in your heart, you're thinking, like I, don't, like, I think I'd go to heaven, but I'm not totally sure. You need to nail that down before you leave today. In John 5, 24, John's having a, Jesus is having a conversation with someone who has been far from God. So in John 3, he's talking to a religious person who says, well, I've gone to church all my life, but I'm not sure I'm, go, I'm gonna go to heaven. In John chapter five, he's talking with a woman who's been married five times. She's currently living with someone who's not her husband. She's as far from God as you can get. And here's what she says. I've never gone to church. I don't know God. I'm, I, I haven't been a good person. I don't think I deserve heaven, but I want it. Can I have it? And Jesus says to her, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, and believe in God who sent me, they'll have eternal life. They'll never be condemned for their sins They've already passed from death into life. Some of you may be here today. It's your first time in church ever. You're an alcoholic. You're a drug addict. Your marriage is falling apart. You're just sure that heaven is not for you because you're, you're just not a good person. Jesus, I tell you what, you want eternal life? None of your sins will be held against you. You can have eternal life if you'll come to me. Both the religious and those far from God, Jesus says, need to follow me to have eternal life. In John six forty seven. John is speaking. This is right after he has fed the 5,000, his greatest miracle in Scripture. And Jesus says to those who are hungry and just looking for miracles, they just wanted spiritual stuff but weren't sure about eternal life. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. And then in John 17, 3, it jumped off the pages as I read this on Friday. Jesus says, this is the way to have eternal life. I mean, does it get any clearer than this verse? Jesus is praying For us, Jesus is praying for people who will live after he has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and gone up to heaven. Jesus said there are going to be some people who don't see that. They don't see the hands. They don't see the spear in the side. They're not going to get to ever visit Israel and see all the places I walk. Those people still need eternal life, God. So here's the map. 
This is the way. I'm reading the Bible now. This is not my opinion. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Do you know God? Do you know intimately Jesus? Do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Maybe you've been to church all your life and you, you think at some point you were confirmed or baptized and you hope so. Today you need to rededicate your life to know that from this day forward, like, I, you know, I, I, like I've, I'm a religious person, but I don't know today. You need to nail it down. God, I need to know for sure. Some of you, the answer would be no. Are you going to heaven? I, I Probably not. You can. Don't you want to? God would love to have a relationship with you now and for eternity. How do I get to heaven? This is the way to have eternal life. Know God and know Jesus. Today you can have eternal life. It can be yours. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? And Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name right now. And Lord, our focus is heaven because the Bible so clearly points out to us more than 30 times today, eternal life, eternity, heaven, eternal life, heaven, eternity, forgiveness, heaven, eternity, eternal life. It's all over the Bible. And Lord, it was intended for us. Lord Solomon said it right. I know that everyone in here, when they're healthy, when they're emotionally strong, Lord, we think about eternity. We wonder what it's like. Wonder if we're going to go to heaven. God, I pray for the men and women, for the teenagers in this room today. And God, my prayer is this, that no one would leave this room tonight and ever have a doubt in their mind again that when they leave this earth, they're gonna live in heaven forever. Jesus told religious people, church doesn't do it. You've gotta stop and let me be your savior. Jesus told people who'd never been to church and who had all kinds of problems, if you just stop and let me become the savior of your life, you can go to heaven. Jesus told people sitting in his own Bible study in John 6, you have to believe in me to go to heaven. And God, I pray for the men and women in this room that today, August 19, 2012, would be a date in their mind, a date in their journal, a date in their Bible that they would say on this day, I'll never question again, on this day, I made a commitment to know that I'm gonna go to heaven. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. Please, nobody looking around for the sake of those people around you. And just respect for their privacy as they just internally do business with God right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you know for sure, you have zero doubts, you are 100% certain that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. You never even question it. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Yep, Christian, I know. Never even think about it. I absolutely know that I know that I know. You can put your hands down. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed. There were a lot of hands raised. Christian, I know. I know that's never even a worry for me. I know. There were a lot of hands that weren't raised. That means there's a lot of people in here today that need to do business with God. You either need to reconfirm your commitment. You need to ask God to make it real solid in your heart. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. You've been going to church all your life, but you've never said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. You've never gone to church, but you need to say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Today, we're going we're to say a prayer together. 
And only you will know whether today you became a Christian or whether today you just you recommitted your life to eternity. But pray this prayer. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. God listens to the prayers of your heart. No matter where you are in life, pray this prayer. Dear God, just say it in the quietness of your soul. Dear God, I want to go to heaven. I believe in you, God. And I believe that Jesus was real and that he loves me and that he died for my sin so that I could be forgiven and so that I could have eternal life. God, I want to go to heaven. I want to have eternal life. And if the way to that is to know God and to know Jesus more intimately, today I open my heart to you. Save me for eternity. I give my life to you for the very first time. Or maybe I recommit my life to you after a time of being away. But God, let today be the day in my life where I mark. I know I'm going to heaven and I never have to doubt again. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around. If you just prayed that prayer, and I know many of you did. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Not until then, but just all at once on the count of three. If you just prayed that prayer to make today the day that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know for sure. That on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Please, no one looking around. One, two, three. Just raise it high. I just want to see what God is doing in here. Awesome. Dozens of hands. God, I thank you for these men and women, these teenagers, these children that have made August 19, 2012 an important spiritual day in their life. Whether today they've become a Christian, whether today they've rededicated their life, it really doesn't matter what the, what the word is. What matters is the decision that today was the day that it was confirmed in their heart. Now with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, one more question. How many of you have someone in your life that you know you're not the judge, but you're not sure if they're going to heaven when they die, but you really want them to? If that's you, would you just raise your hand all over this room? I have someone in my life who I I know that I want to go to heaven, but I don't know if they will. For those of you who raised your hand, just pray for that person right now. You don't have to pray out loud, just in your heart. Pray for them by name. God, this person really want to see them go to heaven. Help me learn how to talk to them about heaven so they can give their life to you. Just pray that prayer. It's, it's, a, it's that simple today. Now, God, all these hands represent somebody. All these other hands represent spiritual decisions made today. The hands prior to that represent people who made this decision one day and it really stuck and it's been confirmed in their heart. They're following you. God bless our church to be a church that lives for you now but who looks forward to eternity with great excitement. Not that we want to be there today but one day we're not afraid of what's going to happen. We look forward to it. Thank you for the reward of our faith, the comfort of our pain, the hope of our heart, the desire of this world's soul. Thank you for heaven. Bless us every week as we learn a little more about it. 
as these things in Jesus' name today and everyone said, amen.